Thank you, Sharon, for that wonderful prelude this morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Welcome to the morning worship service at First Church of New Knoxville. We would like to extend a welcome to our radio listeners. And if you're joining us today as a guest or visitor, we're glad that you are here. There are several announcements to make note of. The giving tree is still up in the back of the sanctuary and supports the baby boutique in Elizabeth New Life Center in Sydney. You can bring in gifts through Thursday, December 28th. Congratulations to Caleb and Katie Allen on the birth of their daughter, Charlie Grace, who arrived on Saturday, December the 16th. Her grandparents are Michael and Jenny Allen and Mark and Kim Warwell. On Sunday, January 7, 2018, following the 9 a.m. service, there will be a congregational meeting to accept the nomination for officers for next year. Nominations from the floor will also be accepted during the meeting. And tonight, today as being Christmas Eve, we encourage you to invite your friends and neighbors to our Christmas Eve candlelight service this evening. We will begin at 7 p.m. with a special half hour of Christmas music before the service starts at 7.30 p.m. And now I'd like to invite Terry and Sally Wisman forward for the lighting of the Advent candle. Soon we shall celebrate the birth of Jesus. We worship God with joy in our hearts as we are reminded of the words Jesus spoke to his disciples. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and will remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our first scripture reading comes from the second chapter of Luke, starting with the eighth verse. And it is familiar to us all. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is joy. Joy that is ours, not only at Christmas, but always. In the time of Jesus, the scriptures were written on long strips of papyrus. And that strip was rolled on the spindles and called a scroll. Biblical historians believe that the scroll that Jesus spoke from was 35 feet long. Imagine in your mind the curious anticipation of the synagogue worshipers as Jesus stood and carefully unrolled 24 feet of that scroll. Our second scripture is from the fourth chapter of Luke, starting with the 16th verse. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let us pray together. O Holy One, as Christmas draws near, there is a sense of excitement in the air. We can feel a joy in our lives and see it in those around us. Still, for some of us, this is a sad time because of unhappy things that have happened in our lives. Help us to have the joy that does not depend on earthly happiness, but on you. Help us to be filled with your joy so that we may share it with a joyless, joyous world. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Sal. And now if we'll all stand and sing hymn number 131, Angels from the Realms of Glory. take a moment to greet one another. We'd like to invite the children forward for the uh, morning's children's chat with Carolyn Lammers. Good morning. 
Oh, my goodness. Come on. This is girls' day, the way it looks. Come on. Good morning. Do any of you have nicknames? You do? What's your nickname? Oh. How do we get nicknames? Hmm? How do you get a nickname? Well, usually our family will give us one. My mom used to call me Carrie. And you know what my grandma called me? Tootsie. Oh, are you laughing? My husband is. He always thought that was funny. Tootsie. Isn't that a funny name? Well, if you make it through school without a nickname, you'll be lucky. So if you're really brave, ask Dad or Mom. It's usually Dad that has a nickname. And and respect the fact if he doesn't want to share it with you, okay? But usually we get nicknames because we love someone and there's just a special old thing. Like if Grandma says Princess or Sweetie or Buddy or something like that. It's a little, little pet name because we love you so much. How many names did Jesus have? Hmm, five? One? Ten? You want to hear some of them? Okay, think of this. This is all referring to Jesus. Prince of Peace, Lamb of God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Son of God, Holy One, Savior, Emmanuel, Good Shepherd, Messiah, Light of the World, the Truth, the Way, King of Kings. And that's not even all of them. Isn't that fabulous? We're celebrating his birth. And he has all these wonderful names that we know him by. And they've come out of the Bible. It's what people refer to him of out of respect and adoration and love for Jesus our Savior that God sent to us. So when we think about Christmas, we want to honor him. Think of all those names he's called that he was given in love. In Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us shout his name together. Love, Jesus Christ. Happy birthday, Jesus. Thank you, God, so much for coming in the form of a little baby that we might have eternal life with you. So in your opening presents tomorrow... And eating a lot of good chocolate, bouncing off the walls, your parents trying hard to be nice. And if they tell you to go to bed early, it might be a safe thing to do. But think about all the wonderful, wonderful names that our Lord Jesus Christ has. Dear Heavenly Father, bless these children, open their hearts and their families' hearts to realize that we are celebrating the birth of the most wonderful thing in the world, our way to salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lost during the last week in Anbar province in Iraq, Specialist Avedon A. Chavez, 20, from Turlock, California. And in Fort Riley, Kansas, Sergeant First Class Kevin Johnson, 46, from Sumter, 
South Carolina. Thank you, Jay. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, especially today as we celebrate uh, the birth of your son and and look forward, Lord, to that celebration tomorrow morning. Uh, I pray that you would uh, guide our hearts, guide our minds, guide our thoughts today as we worship you together this morning. I pray our, our minds would be focused on you and that in everything we do this morning through through prayer, through through song, through scripture reading and, and through your word proclaimed, that you would uh, be glorified and that you would all instill in us the hope and the joy and the love and the peace, Lord, that we are reminded of during this Christmas season. I pray, Lord, as we gather this morning and again this evening, that our songs, uh, our songs of praise and worship would be uh, acceptable to you and lifted up to you together in one voice, united together um, through, our, through our common faith. Uh, Lord, we do remember those who are in need this morning. We pray for your your guidance, your direction, your provision, uh, your healing, Lord. Uh, we pray ultimately that your will is done in every one of those situations that's listed for us in the bulletin. And we also pray, Lord, for those those things that aren't listed there that, that, that people are carrying with them and the burdens that they bear. Uh, Lord, there's a lot, and you know exactly what's going on in our hearts and minds. Um, you are a caring, passionate, a compassionate and gracious Father. Uh, and so we, we, we come to you with, uh, with those concerns and with heavy hearts, and we lay them at, at your feet and pray that you would work and that you would make yourself known to us and through us. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Our offering this morning goes to support the Elizabeth New Life Center in Sydney. And the choir will be singing Christmas Grace.
invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading today. If you would like to follow along with me, we're reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. Uh, You can use your own Bible or one of the pew Bibles that's provided for you. Once again, that's Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother married, excuse me, marveled at what we... Excuse me. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about this child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I invite you to take up your hymnals and let's sing together, I Wander, I Wonder As I Wander, number 139.
Amen. You may be seated. Father, once again, I ask that you would give me words to speak this morning. I pray that as we wrap up our, our Advent series, looking at, at the Song of Simeon and, and what it teaches us about the meaning and significance of Christ's birth, that you would uh, give us a focus on your word now, and I pray that all of our hearts and minds will be open to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. I think a lot of what we have to deal with in life is waiting, right? We have to, a lot of waiting, uh, a lot of life, I should say, is waiting. Uh, for, for a young person, I remember waiting to get older all of the time, right? You're, when you're a kid, you can't wait to go to school and start school. When you're in school, you can't wait to get out of school, right? When you, when you finally get out of school and you go into college, you can't wait to, to grow up and be an adult, right? And get out of college and start real life. And then, and then you go out and you start a job and, and you can't wait to retire, right? And get done with that and move on to that stage of life. It seems like, it seems like all we do is wait. And we're waiting and waiting for the next important thing to happen to us. We're waiting for something significant to take place. I think there's different kinds of waiting, though. There's that anxious waiting, kind of like I just described, that waiting to, to just keep moving forward and waiting to, to get on with life and get on to the next stage uh, of life and whatever God may have for us, uh, trying, um, trying to hurriedly get from one point to the next. I would call that anxious waiting. You're just waiting because, and you're not really focused on the present. You're not really focused on what is happening. You're just focused on getting somewhere else. Um, but there's another kind of waiting, which I think is a good thing, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy. And that's that kind of faithful waiting. Faithfully waiting on the Lord. Faithfully waiting for what He is doing in our lives and for what He is doing in the world. Um, being content to wait on the Lord. Now, I said that's a good thing, but it's not easy. It's hard to, to take that time and to, to patiently wait for what God is doing and for what uh, God is, in, not just in your life, but in the world as a whole. Uh, that sort of waiting takes a lot of patience, it takes a lot of faithfulness, um, and takes a lot of trust in what the Lord is doing. Um, and that's the kind of waiting that I believe that, that Simeon and, and Anna are an example of for us in this passage today. That kind of faithful, patient waiting on the Lord and what He is doing. I want to read one other passage for us before we, we continue on. And that's from Isaiah chapter 40. And that's verses, beginning verse 27 through the end of the chapter. The prophet Isaiah writes, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Right? He's, he's admonishing them. He's, he's telling them, look, why are, you, why are you so impatient? Why are you anxiously waiting? And this is his response. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope... Those who wait, those who trust in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I think this passage that we have before us today, the example of, of Simeon and the prophet Anna, are examples of people who were able to live out that, that idea in Isaiah, the idea of waiting and hoping and trusting in the Lord. 
They had spent their entire lives dedicated to the Lord and faithful service and, and had finally seen the consolation of Israel. They had finally seen the birth of that Messiah that they had been waiting so long to see. And so today I want us to, to remember as we are celebrating the birth of Christ, right? We, I, I've said this already before, we have the benefit of looking back on this passage we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story and where this all leads. But, but remember, put ourselves in the shoes of people like Mary and Joseph or the shepherds or the wise men or Simeon and Anna and, and, and having to, to trust in the Lord, not knowing exactly how things were going to work out. That takes a whole different kind of patience. That takes a whole different kind of hope and faith. I'm not saying that what we have to deal with and what we struggle with is, is, is any less than that, but it's a different kind of perspective that is needed. And so as we look at, at Simeon and Anna's response today, I, I just I pray and I, hope, and, I, and I ask the Lord to reveal in our own hearts what it looks like for us to, to faithfully wait on Him, for us to faithfully trust and hope in what He's doing and not get so anxious about uh, about things turning out maybe the way that we would not expect or want them to turn out. And so to set the scene a little bit here, set the stage, we have these first verses which describe Mary and Joseph bringing this young child, Jesus, to the temple. He was probably only days old at this point, and, and they were bringing him to the temple in order to dedicate him to fulfill the vows that many um, young families at the time did. If you were to look back at passages like in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy, you see these, these, um, these, these offerings, these dedication that were made for children and for the, the mother and the father of a newborn. This was a normal thing. It was a customary practice that, that many faithful, good followers of God did during that time. And so what is happening here with Jesus isn't necessarily anything out of the ordinary. It's not something special, particular to him. This is something that many people would have done. What gives this scene significance, what, what makes this scene so special is who Jesus was and the nature of his calling. There was something special, something very different about this child. He wasn't just any boy being dedicated to the Lord. This was the Messiah. This is the Messiah. And this would become even more clear in just a moment when Simeon and Anna approach this family. And so I think the, the Gospel of Luke tells us this scene, gives us this picture to show us the faithfulness of, of Jesus and his family. That this was uh, a family that Jesus was raised in the Lord and raised in the faith. He was not an outsider, someone that came from outside of the system to come and change what, <coughs> change what he was doing. Pardon me. But his ministry... And his life is a product of this faithful upbringing. He was dedicated to the Lord from an early age, and he had parents who taught him what it meant to follow the Lord. And so he grew up in, in that and surrounded by that sort of faithfulness, which obviously had an impact on him later in his life. And so we see this as they're going about their business, as they're coming to present the offerings and the sacrifice, we see this man Simeon coming to and approaching the family. And we get just this little glimpse into Simeon's life. This is all we know and all we hear about Simeon in, in the Scriptures. He was a, most likely an older man who was uh, faithfully serving the Lord. He's described as righteous and devout. 
He was good towards other people and faithfully committed to following the Lord. And it says that he had been looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He was looking forward to the day when God would would send His Messiah and send His Christ in order to redeem His people. He was faithfully waiting on the Lord. And so as in, in this moment, as he sees the family coming forward, he's, he's, he's told by the Spirit, he's, he's given insight into the fact that this child, just days old, is that Messiah, is that Christ that he is looking forward, that he had been looking for. And so he approaches the family and, and takes the child in his hands and, and sings this song of praise and even gives Mary some insight into what the future holds for her and for him. Last week we looked at how the shepherds responded to the, to the good news of the birth of Christ. And so, so the shepherds, in a sense, were kind of the average Joe, right? They were kind of the man on the street, uh, the, per, the, the random people that, that heard the good news and responded, uh, responded to it. And so Simeon, kind of on the other side of the spectrum, he would be that, he would represent that, that faithful elder, that person who had dedicated his life to the Lord and was finally seeing the result and the outcome of that hope and that trust. And so Simeon was waiting on God and looking forward to the completion of his promises. He had to be aware of what was going on in order to put his hope in it, right? He had, to, he had to be looking forward. He had to have his trust in the Lord in order to understand what he was looking for. Does that make sense? He wasn't just, you know, wandering around and, and anxiously waiting from one, anxiously waiting, trying to get to the next stage of life. He was faithfully waiting and faithfully dedicated to looking for this Messiah. And so this is what a heart this is what a heart in tune with God looks like. Simeon, the model is a model for how one can faithfully follow God and serve him with joy. I talked about how we often are so consumed with that sort of anxious waiting, anxiously waiting from one point to the next. Simeon and, and then later Anna are great examples of what it means to faithfully wait on the Lord, to trust in Him, and to do so over a long period of time. And so let's look at, at what Simeon had to say and what it means and, and how, what we can learn about Christ's birth from that. First of all, we see uh, from this song of praise that, that God is in control over history, that salvation has been made possible for all through Jesus. He starts off a song of praise by saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Sovereign Lord, He is the one who is in control. He is the one who had set this plan in motion from the beginning of time. And, we, and Simeon and, and others are just now seeing it coming to, coming to be, coming uh, and, and beginning to take place. But God has been in control. Jesus was plan A from the beginning. From the, from the very foundations of time, from the very foundations of creation, God knew that He would one day have to send His Son, that God Himself would have to take on flesh in order to redeem and save His people from their sin. And so, so Simeon begins by recognizing God's sovereignty, that God is in fact in control, and that nothing escapes His, his, his sight, nothing escapes His plan. 
God had promised throughout history to deliver His people. And so Jesus now is the fulfillment of that promise. And nothing in the world, nothing can prevent God from accomplishing that plan and that purpose. And so Simeon, witnessing this child, is able to say that he has seen God's salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, what you have prepared in the sight of all nations. To see Jesus, to know Him, is to know God's salvation. To know His grace and His mercy and His love. Simeon was able to witness God's unshakable plan unfolding before his very eyes. And it brought him peace. Peace is something that's uh, often hard to come by nowadays, isn't it? I think it's something that we all long for, we all want to have, but it easily escapes us. The problem is we think peace is something that that we must control, right? Something we have to control all of our circumstances. We have to be in complete, total control and have be able to have, have a say in everything that's happening in our lives in order to have peace. Right? If everything goes according to my plan, then I will finally have peace. The problem with life is that nothing ever goes according to our plans, right? Maybe here and there, but for the most part, nothing goes the way we would expect or we want it to go. And so therefore, we struggle to find peace in the midst of that. But here we get an insight into what true peace really looks like. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not, the, it's not being in complete and total control of everything. It's knowing that God is in control. Knowing that God is in charge and He has a plan and that He is working it out faithfully in the world, in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in the world as a whole. That's why Simeon says, you can now dismiss your servant in peace because he understands that God is sovereign and God is Lord, and that brought him a sense of peace. Having witnessed and seen that with his very eyes, he can now say, you can take me home, Lord. You can dismiss your servant in peace, having seen that and witnessed it. Peace comes from knowing that God is sovereign and in control And that He has ultimately made His salvation known for all people through Jesus Christ. So one's relationship with God and and our faithful service to Him is what is important. That's what defines our, our life and our existence. And that's what will ultimately bring us peace. And so he, he's able to witness this salvation. And he, and he says that this salvation has been made, made available for two different groups. One is Israel. And, and right, that's, that's what makes sense. They're in Israel, they're in Jerusalem, they're in the temple. And so it makes sense for, for Simeon to recognize that this Messiah is, is God's salvation, His deliverance, His redemption for His own people. This baby is the promised Messiah who was to come. And we see elsewhere in Scripture that, that salvation does originate with Israel, with God's people. In John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, Jesus is having this conversation with the woman at the well. Very familiar passage. And Jesus tells her, he says, Believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Right? They're having this conversation about where, where is the right place, where is the right, what's the right time to worship the Lord? Do we do it on this mountain or do we do it on that mountain? Do we do it in Jerusalem? Do we do it in Samaria? Right? That's the conversation that was taking place. And so Jesus tells her, the time's coming when it's not going to be about the place. It's neither this mountain nor Jerusalem. Then he goes on to say, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, it's important to note here that, that as Jesus is making this point, He's saying, look, salvation is from the Jews, but it's not only for the Jews. It says the Savior of the world, the One who will come and rescue us from our sin, will come from Israel, but it's for the whole world. It doesn't matter where you worship Him. It doesn't matter where you're from. What God is truly after is people who seek Him with all of their heart and worship Him with, in spirit and in truth. And so the redemption that God has promised will come from Israel, the glory of your people Israel. But it's not just for them either. It's for the entire world. This is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles was just a term for the nations. Basically everybody who wasn't Israel. And so this salvation that has been made known is, is not just for, for Israel, but it's for the, all the nations. A light that has been made available, made known to them. Salvation originates with Israel, but it is for all people. God is the God of, of all of the nations. His plan has always included all the people. Jesus Himself is the light of the world. In John chapter 1, verses 1-14, through 14, um, a very appropriate Christmas passage that maybe doesn't always get the attention it deserves this time of year, but it's John's way of describing Jesus' origins, which is what we're celebrating at Christmas. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. That light shines in the darkness, and that yet the darkness did not overcome it. That there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness and to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And here's the important part right here, verse 12. But to him who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe the glory, the glory of, as the one and only true Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who has come to, to make God known and make His salvation known to all people in every place. It says it doesn't matter where you're born. What matters is that you're born of God. All who did receive Him, He gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name. See, Israel's mission from the very beginning was to be a light to the nations so that they, may know, so that they also may know and obey the Lord. But Israel failed repeatedly to live up to that mission. And so ultimately it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And it continues to work through the church, us today, Christ followers, to make the Gospel known 
throughout the nations. As we gather again tonight uh, for our candlelight service, um, that light, that candlelight service is a great example of what we are supposed to be. It's a great symbol of, of who we're supposed to be as Christ followers. We're supposed to take that light. We're supposed to take the light of the world and let it shine in the darkness. We're called to carry that light out from this place in order for it to shine. It's not our light. It's the light of Jesus. It's the light of Christ reflecting and shining in our own lives for others to see. So as we gather tonight, as we, as we have that candlelight service, remember that, that that's what we're called to be. He, Jesus is the light to the Gentiles. His salvation is, be, is made known and proclaimed through Him, but it's reflected in us for others to see and to witness. And so we see that salvation has been made available to all through Jesus. And the second thing we learn here from Simeon's response is that the Christian life is not always easy. Right, We see this great song of praise, but then he turns to Mary and gives her words that are maybe not so easy to swallow. He acknowledges Jesus' suffering and ultimately his death. You see, the cure for sin and for death is not to run away from it. It's not to ignore it. Right, If you're sick, the, 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 the way to get healthy and the way to be well is not to just ignore the problem. It's to deal with it, to get the help you need. And so the cure for our sin, the way that God has made our salvation possible, is not to ignore our sin or run away from it, but to deal with it head on through the person of Jesus Christ. He waded right into our mess and set us free. See, the cost, and it cost Jesus something. It cost Him the suffering, death, and pain of the cross. See, grace is free. He's, been, he's made it available freely to each one of us, but it wasn't cheap. Salvation was purchased at a very heavy cost, and a cost that Jesus willingly paid on our behalf. And so we hear these words from Simeon to, to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your, pierce your own soul as well. See, praise is constant, needs to be constant. In the midst of hardship. Jesus triumphs in the face of our suffering. And so, so Simeon began with praise, but he also acknowledged the reality of the hardship which, which is to come. Later in his life, Jesus would tell his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, we need to acknowledge the reality that the Christian life is not always easy. Because Jesus' life wasn't always easy. He took on our suffering and pain. And so, as His followers, as, as Christians, we should expect the same. And so He says here that, that Jesus' life will cause the rising and falling of many. God's kingdom operates on different standards than the world does. We hear things like, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Success does not equal faithfulness. Success in the world's eyes does not necessarily equal faithfulness a person may be successful in the eyes of the world and unfaithful towards the lord and on the other hand someone may be extremely faithful towards god but yet be unsuccessful by world's the world's standards first samuel 16 verse 7 reminds us uh, that god looks at the heart the lord said to samuel do not look at the appearance 
or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. He will cause the rising and falling of many because he sets different standards. We don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn our keep, but he has made it freely available to us through Christ. That goes against the grain of how we've been raised and how how the world normally operates. So those who are often looked down on by the world will be great in the sight of the Lord because of their faithfulness to him. It says that Jesus will be spoken against by many. Jesus was not and never will be completely accepted. Even today, many people speak against Jesus and his followers. People ridicule the faith. And the same was true during Jesus' life and his ministry. He faced his fiercest opposition, not from the so-called sinners and pagans, but from the religious leaders. He was accused at different times of being a drunkard, a glutton, and under the authority of the enemy, under the authority of Satan. Jesus was often spoken against by those who thought they had it all together. And yet the people who, who were looked down upon in the world's eyes, the sinners, the tax collectors, were often the ones who responded positively to, to God's offer of grace and salvation. It says here that through Jesus our, our inmost thoughts will be revealed. When we're confronted with the truth, our true intentions and motives are made known. How people react to Jesus and how they react to the, his ministry and, and his teaching and his life and his death and his resurrection is how they react to God. How they respond to Jesus is how they will respond to the Lord. Jesus, therefore, reveals a person's true attitude toward God. Psalm 139, Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6 teaches us that God knows our hearts, God knows our intentions. And we can't hide anything from Him. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. See, God knows us, He knows our hearts. So we can't hide anything from Him. So how we respond to Jesus, how we, how, how, we, how, we, how we respond to His grace and His love and His mercy uh, will, will, is obvious to Him. Right? We can't hide that from Him. We can't fake it with Him. He knows our heart. And, and those things will be made known. And finally, Simeon says that, that a sword will pierce Mary's soul as well. This is an allusion to Jesus' eventual death on the cross. That the pain and suffering He would go through would also have an effect on His mother. You see, as I've I've mentioned several times already, Christmas leads to Easter. The joy and the hope and the love that we we witness at Christmas is, is significant and meaningful because we know ultimately that this child will find its way to the cross eventually. And through His death and His resurrection, His salvation... Is our salvation is accomplished. A reminder, as I've mentioned already, that our redemption comes at a price. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. So Mary and others will will suffer witnessing what Jesus has gone through, or Jesus will go through, and it will bring them pain. But at the same time, it was through that pain and through that suffering that they will be made free and made alive. 
So we see that the Christian life is not always easy. And finally, as a bit of encouragement, is that although the Christian life is not always easy, God is not done with us yet. We see this picture of Anna at the, at the very last part. This woman who is, who is well advanced in years to be kind, right, was, was faithfully serving and worshiping God in the temple day and night. And as she sees what's happening with Simeon and the baby, and so as she witnesses all that is happening, she begins to tell people and pray, she begins to praise God and tell people all about the redemption that was coming to Jerusalem. She began to spread the word about who Jesus is and what he will accomplish. See, the wait is over. God had finally made his salvation known to us all. Jesus is the light that's shining in the darkness. And just as Anna had, has, begins to preach and tell people about it, we, are, we now know through Jesus' life and through Scripture about this salvation. We don't have to wait for God's salvation anymore. It's already here. And today is the day of that salvation. And so what we see here with Anna is that, is that God often puts people in our paths to encourage us and so that we may be an encouragement to others too. Both in Simeon and with Anna, we see God using people to encourage and to build up Jesus' young family. With Anna, we see that sometimes our most productive years of spiritual service come after our physical prime. Right? Some of the best years of ministry, some of the greatest years of, of God's service to the church may come after retirement. Right? may come later in life. I firmly believe that if you're still here and you're drawing breath, God is not done with you yet. And Anna and, and Simeon as well are great examples of that. That our faithful service to, to God does not end in retirement. right? It ends with, with our going to be with Him. And so God is still able to use us. Anna demonstrates this <clears throat> constant and consistent faith that God can use us even later in life. And this is especially good news in a world that always seems to, to promote the idea that newer is better, right? That the shiny new toy is what's best. That technology that often goes obsolete within a year or two years of its invention. It's a good reminder that God is able to use all of us, young and old, for His purposes. And that it's never too late to, to begin to serve Him and to, to uh, trust Him faithfully. And so we see two people, Simeon and Anna, who waited faithfully for the Lord to reveal a salvation. And another, what we can learn is that God is, uh, we can find contentment not by, by our materialistic things, not by the gifts we'll find under the Christmas tree tomorrow morning, but by our openness to the Lord and being used by God to serve Him and to serve others. Philippians 4, verses 11-13 through 13 says, Paul writes, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. See, the key to contentment at Christmas and at any time of the year, is not, not the, the being in control. It's knowing that God is in control. And it's knowing that His salvation has been made known through Jesus Christ. 
and that it is available to us all by grace through faith. Finding contentment and joy in that will bring contentment and joy to everything we do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to, to proclaim your word. And I pray that as we, as we celebrate your birth this weekend, as we proclaim your salvation, I pray that we would all be able to faithfully wait and trust and hope in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing the hymn number 151, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. May go in peace. See you tonight.